son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Make this the year you take control of your career. Earn your online MBA from the leaders in online education. Indiana University's Kelly Direct Online MBA. Students learn from the best with the best. The innovative curriculum includes immersive experiences in the U.S. and abroad, and the program's 100% in-house approach keeps the cost affordable. Experience the exceptional. Apply at go.iu.edu slash online MBA. I think for them, it really came down to, can we run a for-profit business that puts the force of progressive change at the center? that being our purpose, not a bottom line. Um, and that that is still to the de- this day what our purpose is. It's about using our business operations to be a force for positive social change. Welcome to Lead with We. I'm your host, Simon Mannering, founder and CEO of We First. And this is the podcast where we talk with top business leaders and founders about how they built their companies to be high impact and high growth by putting we first. Lead with We is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. Welcome to this week's episode of Lead with We, where I'm talking with Jay Curley, the global head of integrated marketing at Ben & Jerry's. You know, Ben & Jerry's has taken a truly strident stance on these huge cultural issues like the response to the Black Lives Matter protests, and yet at the same time, they've maintained themselves as one of the most beloved brands in the country, which is quite a balancing act. So let's dive in. Jay, welcome to Lead With We. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you end up at Ben & Jerry's? Because that is a big life choice. It's sort of, you know, the company really defines the type of individuals that work there and the company's defined by those individuals. How'd you end up at Ben & Jerry's? I think to a degree, my my journey here is like a lot of my coworkers and part of what defines our culture is I really wanted to work at Ben and Jerry's because I wanted to work for a business that was really actively trying to progress the world for better. Uh, I was at uh, an ad agency um, design firm, really called JDK Design. It's a fantastic place. I think my professional upbringing at JDK was all around using design to create disruption in industries, using design to um, be provocative and get people to think differently. And I was working on the account side. I was working for brands like Burton Snowboards and Merrill Footwear. And in that work, uh, Merrill got the license for Patagonia Footwear. So I started working on Patagonia. I read Yvonne's book, I went to a sales meeting and on that flight home, I decided I really wanted to work directly for a values-driven business. I also wanted to stay in Vermont. So, you know, luckily I landed at Ben & Jerry's. It it all triangulated. And tell me this, like, what's that first few days experience like at a company like Ben & Jerry's? You walk in and go, oh my God, they're doing something completely different. Or do you go, okay, this makes sense in terms of what I expected. You walk in and it, it is, it's a brand immersion. 
the walls are bright. There's a slide in the lobby. There's dogs running around. There's ice cream, uh, you know, freezers here and there. Um, How are you all not 300 pounds? That's the question I have. <laughs> there is a gym in the back also. And uh, so that that helps. A very dusty gym. And everyone's <laughs> like, no, I'm going to go and get some, you know, whatever the flavor is. Uh, and so I walked into a company at Ben and Jerry's. It has this rich history. Part of it was just like, Ooh, don't fuck this up, you know, like get this right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part was, uh, you know, learning the nuances, understanding the people so that, uh, so that I-, I can have an authentic impact. Yeah. There's always that moment where you've got to kind of merge with the culture inside an organization. And, you know, Ben and Jerry's is a very different type of company. We all know it to be very activist in nature. And, you know, on your website, you see that you're a social justice company that happens to make ice cream. How did that come about? Because every entrepreneur today wants to make a difference. Was it a function of Ben and Jerry themselves? And that's what made the company unique from the get go? Or was it something that grew out of time? How did it come about? Yeah, I think the first is the nuance that honestly, we're an aspiring social justice company. You know, it's a journey. We have a long way to go also. Um, But very directly, it is rooted in our co-founders values and rooted in our co-founders journey around entrepreneurship, right? So they ended up making ice cream because they were kind of failing at everything else and they wanted to hang out together and have fun. And that felt like a good way to do it. So it wasn't all perfect from the start. It was sort of, hey, here's what we love or we could kind of vaguely do. And it just grew from there. That's exactly it. And and they did not want to be business people, worked hard not to be. Uh, and to a degree, maybe because of that, maybe in spite of it, they were running a successful ice cream company that was growing. Um, and they were doing things differently. They were throwing chunks and swirls in. Like we don't, in 2020, that doesn't seem like a big deal. In the 80s, putting raw cookie dough into ice cream was radical. Right, right. It's, a, it's the lack of self-censorship that got, uh, yeah, got exactly. them off the ground. And, and the um, interesting thing is they actually got to that point where they did not like that success. They were managing people. They were meeting with bankers. They were doing all the things that business people do that, that they just did not want to do. And they were on the verge of selling the company back in, I think, 83 or 84, which was about five or six years in. And I mean, like, it was pretty much a done deal. And Ben was having uh, dinner with a friend who was this kind of eccentric uh, restaurateur. And he was telling him, yeah, I'm, I'm selling the company, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I, we don't want to be business people. And his friend, his name was Maurice. He said, listen, if you don't like the way business is being done, do it differently. And this was a big, big like shift for Ben and then therefore for the company where, I mean, he literally, you know, stopped the sale and they found their purpose at that moment. You know, we all, we talk about purpose driven brands, like it's a gimme, you know. But how, how did they actually work through that process? Because it's one thing to have that light bulb moment of permission where it's like, oh, wow, I could think my way through this differently. But how do they get to social justice and all the issues that you focus on? I think for them, it really came down to, can we run, again, this is 84, 85. Can we run a for-profit business that is sustainable and continues to grow, but that puts the force of progressive change at the center, that being our purpose, not a bottom line. Um, and that, that 
is still to the de this day what our purpose is. It's about using our business operations to be a force for positive social change. How do you prioritize? How do you make the decision as to what to respond to when? When does some issue become acute enough that you go, okay, whatever we were doing is now going to be reprioritized and we're going to lean into this issue? I've been at the company now for 12 years. Uh, and in that time, we've really had two primary campaigns. One, uh, I'll say three. One focused on marriage equality, one focused on climate justice, and one focused on racial justice, right? And we continue to stay engaged in all of that work. Um, right. But what leads us to say, okay, this is going to be our primary focus is about where we think we can actually affect impact and be part of either helping to grow and support a social movement uh, to a place where it can have real substantial success or be part of that moving it over the tipping point. Right, right. And so how does a brand think that through? Like, do you sit down consciously and go, all right, you know, these are the issues we're committed to as a function of our purpose. And we're aware of how you know, acute these issues are, and therefore we're going to show up in this way, or is it a function of the founders or a function of the culture? Just, you know, how you go to market in, in your storytelling. Um, it's, it's really a, a function of a dedicated team working hard on it and soliciting and engaging the right level of uh, input with mainly the movements we're looking to support. Um, so as it relates to racial justice in the US. After Michael Brown was murdered, our board of directors put together a group of really leading edge activists and great provocateurs that really helped Ben and Jerry's, our leadership team, our activism team, our marketing team, um, better understand the issues of racial justice in America. So this was back in, I guess, early 2015, I think. And, um, and that helped us to focus on, all right, how do we best engage in this issue? And then it's a matter, it has been a matter for us of working with different groups, with different NGOs and building long-term relationships with them, understanding what their goals and strategies are, and then figuring out how we can use our business operations in service of those strategies. You know, by definition, the people that work in Ben and Jerry's, uh, they care about these issues, otherwise they wouldn't want to work there. But at the same time, you never want the company's purpose to be prescriptive of the personal purpose of the individual. So how do you bridge between what people care about who work there and what the company commits to at any one time? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, our company's purpose is rooted in our co-founders' values, right? Um, but even as late as the late 80s, the early 90s, the company and the leadership, including the co-founders, were trying to institutionalize what those were. So it wasn't just the whim of Ben or Jerry, more often Ben than Jerry. But um, and, and they did that. They wrote a progressive value statement in the early 90s that articulated what those were. And really, at least since I've been here, every five or so years, we look at how we evolve those. But then... You know, there are plenty of people who work at Ben and Jerry's who just love ice cream and, you know, are happy that we're doing the activism and advocacy work that we do. 
but are but don't feel the need to be engaging in it aren't that's not their sole purpose for being there you know um so what is that culture like in there? Because that's a really interesting balancing act you're talking about there where, hey, if you just love ice cream and love the environment and love working here, then great. But if you also want to be very engaged in and around these issues, then great as well. What is, how do you maintain culture? Well, you know, I think we're focusing most of this on the company's social mission. Uh, when we also have a company, a culture that's just built on fun and joy. I mean, we literally have a committee at the company called the Joy Gang who, you know. Okay, see, that's not normal. The Joy Gang at a company? Come on, what? tell us about that. What's that about? For decades, you know, the committees that would just throw random parties of, you know, give, giving every, like, the in the middle of the winter in Vermont, it's, you know, crazy snowy and whatnot. And the Joy Gang comes around and gives everyone windshield wiper fluid. Like, I know that sounds so silly <laughs> and so trivial, but it is, it's this touch point and connection, right? right? And um, I think it, that's really important. It's, it's the intimacy of the relationships that you establish inside the company and outside. Like, if you don't have empathy, if you don't have compassion for other human beings, you're not going to care about these issues and you're certainly not going to show up to change things for the better. Mm-hmm. And do you tangibly feel that the way that you're showing up and the advocacy kind of efforts that you support are helping move that needle? Like, how do you measure that success internally? How do you recognize it? Here's a story for you. Uh, and it's actually, a, it's, it's Ben told this to me. Pete Seeger told it to him at the Newport Folk okay. Festival that Ben and Jerry sponsored back in the early 90s. So Pete Seeger talked about how change happens through social movements. And it's, I'm going to totally butcher it, but... It's called the analogy of the, or the fable of the, the spoon brigade. So picture a seesaw, all right? And at the bottom of one end of the seesaw is a massive rock. And at the top of the other is a bucket and a big tall ladder and a massive crowd of people standing there. And two or three people taking spoons and bringing sand up the ladder, dumping it in and bringing it down. It seems completely futile. Change is never going to happen. And one of the standard by folks sitting there watching says to one of the people with the spoons, what are you doing? You're never going to change anything. And the person says, more and more people come with spoons every day. And more and more people are picking up their spoons and going up that ladder. And one day things are going to change and they're going to flip. And we're all going to say, how did that happen so fast? Ben and Jerry's did not cause marriage equality to be legalized in America. I do think we were part of the cultural movement that normalized and recontextualized people to understand that love is love and that this is something that people should be able to, this is a right they should have, right? So we were, we were part of that movement. And what happens when you get that inevitable backlash? I mean, when you take a very strident point of view, either internally amongst your own team where you go too far or a franchisee or somebody like, what do you do? How do you manage through that process? Because, you know, you're, you have such strong points of view. It's hard. <laughs> um, I, I think that the team that is at the center of the work, uh, we've been doing it for a while. We've built up the courage. We built up the thick skin. What we've learned over the years is that we, and, and I think we do a much better job now, is really about engaging and arming our, our frontline employees, whether they're a scooper in a scoop shop or the community manager on social or the person taking the phone call you know, at the corporate office. 
And um, so that's been a very active shift for us is to ensure we're bringing those folks along in the right way so they can be prepared too. Um, yeah, what we do is controversial sometimes and often provokes backlash. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it often proves the point that we need to be doing the work. Uh, when we say Black Lives Matter and people launch racist tropes at us in diatribes, it kind of shows us that for everyone who thinks this isn't an issue, clearly it is. <laughs> Look at the comments. I think it's, um, it's a challenge. And I like what you're saying about getting everyone prepared, because one of the things I noticed about you know, Ben and Jerry's time and again is your agility, your speed to, you know, through which you address an issue. And there's a huge benefit to that because when you're faster to market in response to an issue, you're not only seen to be self-assured and showing up in a way that's authentic to what your stated claims are, but also you capture all the earned media and you get all the benefit of amplifying that issue through the lens of your brand. And so whether it's Patagonia saying we're going to sue the presidents or whether it's, you know, Ben and Jerry's taking on white supremacy, you move so quickly. What's that process? What happens internally when something flares up, a cultural flashpoint, and you go? So we've been doing work around racial justice for two plus years, specifically in criminal justice reform. We build campaigns in service of these movements, right? Um, we, we launched a campaign 18 months ago with the focus around divesting from the broken system, the courts, the jails, the police, and investing in what is actually gonna make communities healthier, economic development, housing, education, et cetera. So when George Floyd was murdered, we've been working in this space, we've been engaging in this space, and we were able to quickly respond in a way that hopefully was steeped in our experience trying to do this work and was a little bit more poignant poignant and specific than you saw other businesses saying, right? Yeah, I think that's really powerful because I think sometimes brands today are waking up to the fact that they've got to kind of have a point of view on these cultural flashpoints. But what you're saying is it's far more important to work out what your core purpose is and bring that to life, irrespective of what's going on. And when these cultural flashpoints come along, well, then you can play a more meaningful role. That's exactly it. For us, we're not jumping on every cultural flashpoint. Yeah. What we are doing is looking to use cultural flashpoints to continue the momentum and to grow the support of the movements we're already engaged in. You know, you use the word movement in a very different way that I think other brands do. I think we hear companies talking about wanting to lead a movement, and you know, which is a way of saying they want to have an impact at scale. But as I understand it, Ben and Jerry's doesn't try to be the movement in its own right, but you partner with those grassroots movements that yeah. already exist. Talk, I think if that. you're a if you're at a big company trying to do this work, if you're an entrepreneur trying to do this work, humbly, this is the most important thing I think I'll say over this course of this podcast. Stop developing your own campaigns. Stop trying to, to think that you are going to come up with the solution to solve these big issues. You're not. And, and that's good. That's okay. That's not what you're in business to do. Like we make great ice cream. That's what we're in business to do. What we aspire to do is take the lead of the people who this is their job. This is their expertise, right? And then we, we figure out what do we have to bring to the table that's unique that can help them to reach their goals versus an ad agency saying, here's what your campaign is going to be. 
Right, that sort of outside-in optics approach as opposed to this authentic collaborative approach, it's night and day in terms of, you know, the impact you have, but also how it's experienced out there. And consumers, you know, millennials, Gen Z, they're so sensitive to brand BS these days. They just don't want, they have no patience for the optics management that you see so many, you know, companies doing. That said, how do you get it right? Because if you're dealing with, you know, criminal justice issues, there's so much sort of academic thinking. There's a lot of sort of grassroots movements around this. It's not like, you know, no one else got it right. And then a brand, Ben and Jerry's or otherwise, can come in there and, and, and get it right. Like you made those big four policy proposals around white suprematism when, it, you know, when you um, took that stance. How did you, in such a short space of time, have a point of view that you felt confident enough to go public with? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of those things that we had brought up are things we had brought up before, right? So, I mean, in, in, from a marketing perspective, one of them was one of the solutions that we have put forth and we still are pushing for is HR 40, House Resolution 40, which is a commission to study reparations for descendants of, of uh, African slaves in America. We support put out a statement in support of that in October, uh, last October. And, and, you know, a few months before that, we outlined in, a, in a, a, a basic blog, the link between slavery and mass incarceration. We, in it, that we put it out, it did fine, you know, as a piece of content. We reposted that a week after our statement around um, dismantling white supremacy, and it got more engagement than the statement itself, right? right. It was a time that people were really, interested and wanted to learn and wanted to engage in it. The other side of the coin when you're taking a strong stance is also holding yourself accountable. And I know your CEO, Matthew McCarthy, came out at one point and said, we're a white company in a white state. What do you do to kind of walk your own talk and what, what changes do you make? The, the, the only thing I'd quickly caveat, and it's an important caveat, is we're a mostly white company in a mostly white state, right? Right. Because right? uh, there are black employees at Ben and Jerry's, people of color, and there are in our community. But it, I mean, it's interesting because those are words I used to say too. And I realized in saying that, yes, we're a vast majority white company, but by saying we're a white company, we've actually erased the few people of color that we do work Absolutely. with. Right? Absolutely. Right. And so anyway, um, what we're doing, you know, I think we've been really intentional around really trying to understand what the root causes of um, the issues around racial diversity, equity, and inclusion are at Ben and Jerry's. And for certainly for a marketer, the process is slower than I would like because it really is a, a process of kind of discovery and digging down to root causes. So we spent most of last year gathering the information to do the root cause analysis. We spent about the first six months of this year um, doing that root cause analysis. And now the next six months, we're now, I guess, two months into it, working on the solutions to it. Um, for business people and for marketers in particular, it's really uncomfortable because I'm impatient and I want results now. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's so complicated, the issue, too, because I think some companies almost fudge the math because a lot of the people of color are further upstream in their supply chain. And yet in their corporate offices and executive leadership, you know, it's absent. 
So, you know, how are you taking it up a level? Because if you're taking these issues on publicly, you know, at a high level, how do you take your own internal behaviors to the higher level? Yeah, I think what we're what we're attempting to do, I mean, at the highest level on our board, they've been real leaders on this. And we have a fairly racially and gender diverse board. And that was their own initiative. And, and they, they've pushed that and, and done a fantastic job with it. With Ben and Jerry's, to your point, this, this isn't just about how do we change the demographics of the employees and headquarters? Like, yes, that is a KPI we intend to change, but it's gotta be much deeper than that. So we've actually been looking at four different areas of the company. One is our full supply chain. Uh, one is our franchise network where there's a big opportunity for us. The other is the internal kind of uh, employee culture. And then the last, and this is a very interesting one is, how do we actually change how we measure success and what KPIs are, right? So some are quite practical. How do we, how do we use our supply chain to address the racial uh, wealth gap, right? Like that's a pretty tangible thing that we can go after. We're marketers, we can build a plan. We are building a plan and we'll go at it. Something like, how do we actually measure success differently? Um, that's where I hope, and we're in the midst of doing it now, I hope that leads to some some breakthrough thinking. And if you were to kind of the biggest light bulb opportunity for you where you could would make the greatest difference, where, where's that sort of access point? What is that pivot point where you think could be, make all the difference? As it relates to internal culture or yeah, external? Internal, yeah. Internal. I mean, I think this is specific to Ben and Jerry's uh, in our business model, but I see the most opportunity as it relates to our franchise network in, in retail shops. Um, because we have the more, we have more of an opportunity to engage with more people, right? There's a hundred folks at our corporate office at Ben and Jerry's, you know, whereas we have hundreds of scoop shops all around the country. And that's just the U S we have about double that globally. And how do you protect those various stakeholders? Because in a sense, you know, I think a lot of business leaders out there, they want to play into these issues, but they're kind of scared. Like how will the street respond if they're a publicly traded company or, how will culture respond, especially at a time when the United States is so polarized? If you put your hand up in a strident way around a certain issue, it can feel unsafe. So how do you manage that? For us, we get courage, honestly, in, in being rooted in our values. And it sounds like a cliche, but to know that, or at least to have some confidence that we're on the right side of history. At least in my career at Ben & Jerry's, the biggest backlash we have faced as a company was when we supported marriage equality in 2009 and when we supported Black Lives Matter in 2016. But again, whatever, 10 years on, four years on, I think we can look back and we know those were the right things. And let me ask you a sensitive question. I mean, you know, these issues have not only been polarized, but amplified all around the country and overtly or covertly, different voices or groups are playing into those two polarized points of view. So through a political lens, when you put your hand up and really kind of call people out in terms of white supremacy on the on a public stage, what do you hear back? What are those sort of like sort of dark forces that you sort of hear emanating back towards you that, you know, may be surprising? I think that one thing we realized in retrospect is that, yeah, we're playing in a much bigger ball game here. Uh, this isn't just about us standing up for our values. I mean, we're literally talking about international espionage and information warfare. 
over the last two years, we've realized that whether we like it or not, we're part of that ecosystem. And, and you know, we saw that in retrospect, you know, when everything came out about what was happening in the fall of 2016, as it relates to Russian hackers and troll farms and whatnot, they were amplifying the division within our Black Lives Matter statements. We were able to actually go back and find the bots, although we had no idea at the time that that was what was happening. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, as you say, we're all pawns in a much bigger game. You know, it's easy to get, especially if you're younger and you're a social entrepreneur, to be really kind of swept up in this rare moment in time where business is given license to really play into these larger issues. But at the same time, how do you make sure you never lose sight of the fact that you got to stay in business? I mean, it's kind of like, oh, wait, did anyone make any ice cream this week? You know, how do you balance that? I, You know, the co-founders and the leadership back in the late 80s balanced that by making a three-part mission. We have a three-part mission. Product mission to make the best ice cream in the world. I'm simplifying. Economic mission, uh, give a fair return to our stakeholders and a social mission, which was to use the business uh, in service of social progressive change. Now, again, in, in the late 80s, that was absolutely radical. These days, it's like, oh, yeah, I learned about that in business school or whatever it might be. But um, we operate the business balancing those three missions as it relates to resources, investment and whatnot. And, you know, if we don't continue to make and sell the best ice cream in the world, we're not going to be able to do the important activism and advocacy work. And how does those the, the data there, how does that break out in the sense that, you know, you're going to polarize some of your audience? You know, some people won't agree on that particular issue or they just don't want to be involved in any issue. They don't want their ice cream to be politicized in some way. Do, do you find it's the deeper loyalty of the loyalists that actually maintains the financial strength of the company? Or is it you widen the net and you bring more people into the tent in a sense? It's 100% both. You know, and again, this is a basic marketing brand building. It's about building penetration and loyalty. You, we can do both of those things, or I'd rather say both of those things are an, uh, a, a consequence of our activism and advocacy work, right? They're not why we do it, but, but we do grow penetration and we do grow loyalty because of that work. You know, Jay, it's so hard to look around us right now and not feel a little disheartened by oh, the, the, country, the direction the country's going in or how quickly we're solving for some of these issues. But as you said, with you know, the right to marry someone you love, it, it can turn very quickly. What's you, how do you stay optimistic? What, what, what keeps you positive in these very challenging times? One of the things that I get excited about and I do stay optimistic around is taking heart in the small victories that often take a long time. You know, like we worked in support of an amazing coalition in St. Louis uh, called Close the Workhouse for about two years. They have been working for well over a decade to close what is a wasteful and racist jail in St. Louis. And we started that started to support their existing campaign, showed up with our ice cream, showed up with our content, worked really hard in partnership with them, not knowing when that was going to be better. And in June, the Board of Aldermen and the mayor finally um, voted unanimously to defund that prison, or excuse me, that jail. And it's, it's going to be closed this year. And the impact that that's going to have on the poor and the marginalized folks of 
St. Louis who were often locked up because they couldn't afford bail. Uh, it's, I, I, that's where I get my energy from. I look and I say, all right, let's get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves. You know, what, what are we going to be doing? Uh, and it gives me the energy and the optimism that, that it is going to continue to get better. Jay, thanks for the work and thanks, you know, to Ben and Jerry's for giving all businesses an example to follow. And, you know, here's to making a greater impact together that much more quickly. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, I appreciate the time to, to dive in a little further and, you know, really encourage other businesses to, to engage in the work. You're never going to be ready, but just take a step. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Lead with We, where I spoke with Jay Curley, the global head of integrated marketing at Ben & Jerry's, who shared with us how a brand can take on an important and complex issue like racial justice, and how you can build a brand movement that truly makes a measurable and meaningful difference, and how a company can navigate that delicate balancing act between doing good and doing well, not just today, but over the long term. If you'd like to subscribe to Lead With We, you can find us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And please recommend it to your friends and colleagues so they too can become a purposeful and profitable business. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can build a purposeful brand, check out wefirstbranding.com, where we have lots of free resources and case studies. See you on the next episode of Lead With We.